Forgotten History is presented by State Farm. Getting great car or home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? Well, that's just like talking the biggest names in NFL history and hearing their untold stories. It's the real deal. So choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, here on the East Coast and really across the country, McDonald's isn't just a global restaurant, it's a local one as well. Just like how the guests on this show aren't just major Hall of Fame athletes, they're stars and celebrities, but people that work inside each of their communities. McDonald's are owned and operated by people who live in those communities. And when you eat at McDonald's, you're actually supporting American businesses, maybe even your neighbor's business. The McDonald's franchises also care about the communities that they live and work in. They give back by helping first responders and of course supporting local Ronald McDonald charity chapters. When you own a McDonald's, you are committed to serving the community where you do business. McDonald's serving here. All of a sudden, Glenn Cadrez goes, hell yeah, we're thinking about it. <laughs> hell yeah. Glenn Cadrez had a little Arnold Schwarzenegger in him. Yeah, we're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I lift things up, I put them down. <laughs> Hey everybody, Trey Winkle here. Welcome into another edition of Half Forgotten History. By this time, you know the drill. We pour a cocktail, preferably Maker's Mark, sit down and share great stories with some of the greatest names in the history of the NFL. Well, our guest today on Half Forgotten History is a guy, for lack of a better term, was my work wife for 15 years. He was a 12-year NFL veteran, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl champ, and the coiner of the phrase, I only show up to Super Bowls when we're going to win. Never lost one of the big games. Ladies and gentlemen, longtime NFL analyst, NFL player, one of my best friends, Mark Schlereth. What's up, big boy? What is it, half forgotten history? Hey, cheers to you. This is the perfect show for me because I always say I walk out of my kitchen to the garage and I just stand there. And I'm like, yep, this is my garage. All right, I'm going back <laughs> in the kitchen now. Like, I can't remember why I walked yeah. out there. Ever why was I going show. to the garage? Yeah, yeah. I don't have any so, idea why I just stepped out into my garage, but here I am. Hi, cars. Okay, so, going back to the kitchen. So this is why we do this show, to help you remember some of the great things that happened in the history of the NFL <laughs> and enjoy a cocktail and telling some of the great stories that no one has ever heard. Today, we're focusing on Super Bowl 42. And as a backdrop, people need to understand if they've forgotten, that was one of the great upsets of all time when the New York Giants, who were the sixth seed in the playoffs, uh, came in and somehow found a way to beat the Patriots and end their unbeaten season, thus giving New England the worst 18-1 season in the history of the NFL. And the reason that Mark is a perfect guy to talk about this is because of your own freaking history in the NFL. What, three times you started a season with a double-digit win column before you ended up with a loss, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was always interesting because I always said that nobody would ever go through an NFL season undefeated. I just didn't think it was right. a possibility because of all the things that happen and then the pressure that builds. And, and I always tell the story about what we call it, we joke around all the time, you and I, about Glenn Cadrez. And you get Cadrez. <laughs> I, I was wondering how long in the show before that name was going to come up. Right. So Glenn Cadrez was a great special teams player, played for a long time in the National Football League. Um, and, you know, every week as you go through these undefeated things, I started in Washington one season, 11-0, started in Denver, 13-0. But every week, you know, more and more people start to show up in your locker room during the open locker room. And all of a sudden you see people that you only have seen on television, right? You see guys, reporters from other, uh, other uh, places in the country and you start to, you know, it just gets, it just builds every week. 
And every week, guys either hide in the training room because they don't want to talk or they hide in the weight room. And, and eventually, you know, you can't, you can't get away from the question, how long can you guys go undefeated? Can you it's go looming? Right. And, and I mean, it's, it's not only the reporters, it's your own family. Like you're getting calls from your sister or you're getting calls from your brother-in-law or you Hey, how long can you, you go to the restaurant with your wife and they're like, <laughs> people, the waiters taking your order and go, by the way, do you guys can do this? Go undefeated. You're like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And you keep saying the same thing over and over again. Hey, it's one game at a time. You know, all the cliche bullshit that you always use. Right. right. And finally we're all sitting around in the locker room. It's uh, we're going into week 13. And you're playing and the, what the giants, right. Who were the, terrible that year. the giants. Right. I mean, they got a bunch. I mean, I think, was it Graham playing quarterback for that? I can't even remember. Ken, who I think it was Kent Graham out of Ohio Ken, state. You're exactly yeah, Ken right. Graham. So Graham. We're all sitting there, you know, everybody's towing the company line and everybody's saying, Hey, one game at a time. And we're just focused on the giants. The giants are a good team. And if we don't bring our A game, you know, all the stuff that you don't really believe, but you have to say, like, right. we, you know, you want to just say, yeah, we're going to whip their ass. They're not very good. Right. <laughs> exactly. They so, stink. We're really good. Right. So we're all sitting there and uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's towing the company line. All of a sudden, Clint Cordres goes, I mean, at the top of his lungs in the locker room, hell yeah, we're thinking about it. Hell yeah. And he's just like, yeah, we want to go undefeated. Yeah, we're thinking about that. And, and everybody's just like, oh, my God, you can't say that. You cannot. And so we ended By the way, up. Little, little, little known fact there, Snake, apparently uh, Glenn Cadrez had a little Arnold Schwarzenegger in him. Yeah, we're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And if things up, I put them down. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, he goes, he goes off and we're all like, you can't do that. And then we fly out there and get our ass beat by the Giants. So we started, I mean, 13 and 0 and, and, uh, and the Giants took us down. They're the ones that took us down. It was unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. It's always the Giants. That's yeah. what we've just learned. It's always the Giants. hundred percent of the so time. The re- no, yeah. when I started eleven so, zero, it was the Cowboys. By the way, they yeah. got us. It was the Cowboys. Well, at least they're winning. At least they're winning something. Yeah, uh, because they're, they're not winning much of anything else right now. So that's the preface why you're the perfect guy to to tell this story. Because heading into Super Bowl forty two, look, they played the week seventeen of the regular season. I think it was thirty five thirty one in that game. Brady uh, Brady threw for a touchdown pass fifty, which broke the record that Manning had at forty nine. And again, Peyton would go on to subsequently break that a few years later. And Randy Moss, I think, caught his 20th touchdown catch, which was the new record. So they had already done it. So that week, that week, the Super Bowl was in Glendale out in Arizona. And it, it felt like a coronation, right? The entire week felt like it was just going to be an inevitable crowning of the Patriots as Bill Belichick's double middle finger tour to the world after Spygate. It really did. And it was interesting. You know, we sat there during a press conference where Tom Brady, I think it was Tom Brady with the long walks, you know, the flowing walks at that point. I think that's was the Tom when Brady. He was, when he was feeling when he was feeling himself as sort of a, a European model at the time. Exactly. So that was the phase he was going through. And I'll never forget. Was it, was it Plexico Burris that predicted that the Giants were going to win 17, 14. And I'll never forget. There was almost, and it's so non Brady esque, but it just caught him off guard. You know, he's so stoic all the time and he's so prepared. And, you know, when you talk to him, I mean, he's never ever kind of lets his guard down. And he gives yeah. you great stuff, but he's very, he's very measured in everything that he says. And he just looked and he just laughed. He was like, really? We're only going to score 14? <laughs> and you and I are sitting there going, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, oh, snap. 
Like, can you yeah. believe he? That, that was, that was I, the most Brady he had ever sort of let his guard down to that point. Right. It was completely, completely out of character for him. And, um, and it was the first time I think during the week that you and I talked about where like, do they have a chance? I mean, it yeah. was like, it was one of those things like they, they, I mean, do they really have a chance here? So it was a really interesting thing, but you're right. Everybody was just like, Oh my gosh, the, the Patriots are going 19 and oh, they're going to sweep this thing. Yeah, and the funny thing about that too, Mark, is people forget Brady got beat up in the AFC Championship game that year, and he showed up walking around Manhattan after the game and went to a nightclub called Butter, and he had a walking boot on. Now, can you imagine if that wasn't Tom Brady and the Patriots who had already won a bunch of Super Bowls and had already been through this, and there's a picture of him in a walking boot going out to a nightclub called Butter, of all things, how differently people would have reacted if it was any other quarterback. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, obviously he's got the hall pass and, and, you know, rightfully so the guy has been phenomenal. There's no question, but yeah, that would have been, but was he married at the time? Was he, he was, he was with with Giselle for sure. I'm not sure if they were officially hitched. Yeah. 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 So, um, but you're right. He was, uh, you know, he was touring, uh, the, the modeling scene. He was doing modeling shoes. So, uh, he was on a Zoolander phase basically. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, so that's the premise, right? So, so obviously when we get to the game, things change dramatically and there's something happened that also changed dramatically, which forced me to rethink our friendship. And this seems like a perfect time to take a break, fill your glass and get ready for a story you may have never heard about what happened in Super Bowl 42. Here at Half Forgotten History, our surprisingly great conversations are brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs, like our Hall of Fame guests choosing the perfect never-before-told story to share with our listeners. Look, you need a team that supports you and gets you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, we are back and ready to roll. So it's game day, Super Bowl 42 in Glendale, Arizona. Mark and I had done some pregame stuff for SportsCenter, and then you flew home. You flew right. home to watch it on your couch. I had to stick around because I had to do postgame. And for people that don't know how postgame at the Super Bowl works, Halfway through the fourth quarter, they gather everybody who's been credentialed to get on the field. They put these like yellow, like safety reflector vests. You, you look like the school crossing guard at, you know, at an elementary school. Come on, kids, come on through. You're wearing these vests so everybody knows you're credentialed and you're allowed to be on the field. Well, it was a tight game. And the Patriots had just scored, I think, to go up 14 to 10 with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So I'm like, wait a minute, we have to leave where I'm watching the game now and go down into the bowels of the stadium so we can get on the field. And I call you and said, Mark, I'm in deep shit right now. I have no idea what's going to happen. So I need you to do me a favor. And as always, because he's my guy, he's like, no problem. What do you need? I said, stay on the phone with me and talk me through everything that's going on uh, through this final drive. So I know what's happening. You're like, Oh, okay, great, great. Got it. So they kick off the Patriots do to the giants and you say, okay, blah, 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 Giants have got the ball. And the first thing out of your mouth was what? Um, I don't know. What was it? 
you started telling me what the blocking scheme was. Oh. Like, okay. Well, it looks like they're in a two man over double under blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no one gives a shit. Here's what I need you to do. You need to, t- when, when the ball is hiked from right. the center to the quarterback, Follow that olive style football and let me know where it goes. That's uh, all I need. Right. right? I, I've That's got all it. I needed. I've got to tell you, it's been so funny. My transition from being a studio analyst to a game analyst and how my, like how more, how much more um, expansive my look is when it comes to watching the game, how much more globally I think of the game now. So I always viewed it and you view the game through the lens with which you played it. So you always view it with, you know, the, this offensive line lens and what, what's going on in the line of scrimmage. And it's really been hard for me to transition to actually watch the ball. So as a player, when I would watch, like I'm, I'm playing against the defense, I'm playing against, you know, Warren Sapp or whoever I'm playing against, right? You, you'd study that player and you'd study the scheme, the front seven, and as soon as you would see whatever you needed to see, like they, the running back broke out on a 19 handoff or whatever, and then I just fast forward through it. Like, I didn't care if he broke a tackle or whatever. I just want to see the initial. So all that stuff, I never watched the ball as a, as a player. You just study the game. So I'm constantly just drawn into the front seven. And everything else, wherever the ball goes, I, like, I don't even care. I just want to see what they're matter. doing. You had right. your job. You had your job. Yeah. Right. Right. By the way, you, you brought up Warren Sapp's side note. We have to tell the story now, right? We have to tell the story. For whatever reason, Warren Sapp's Hall of Fame player. There's no question about it. He's awesome. Uh-huh. You owned him. You owned him. In fact, you beat him up once so bad, he said something to you at the end of the game as an excuse. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, well, he, he, had, uh, he had said, man, I was coming off a um, – I had no feeling in my foot. I had a back injury. I had to end up getting back surgery and, uh, and I had a really, you know, my knee was really bulky and I, you know, well, I mean, 29 with, surgeries on your knees will yeah. do that with disaster is a, uh, relative term. I don't know. I, I don't know. Anybody with you controlled disaster. him, right. but he came up to say after the game, he goes, you were lucky today. My wrist was sore. And I'm like, Oh yeah. He like, <laughs> really? You're going to tell, tell that to me. No, Warren, Warren and I had some battle. You know, I knew Warren was going to be great. I played him as a rookie and, it, this was before he really learned how to play. And most guys as young players don't know how to pass rush at the NFL level because most guys can just physically come in and dominate in the college level. And you're not going to like, I'm the world's strongest human. You're not going to physically dominate me, even though I, I didn't weigh that much. This is true. You should see pic- you, you fell into the gene pool, by the way. I mean, right. you should see pictures of your dad who was what, 80 now or 71. 81, and he's still bench pressing like a Buick. It's freaking ridiculous. I, I guarantee you my dad can probably max, like, he's not what he once was, but in his 70s, you still could bench press 300 pounds in late 70s. I mean, I, I guarantee you he could still do probably six reps with 225 at 81. I mean, the guy is yeah, it's, the guy it's is, ridiculous. He's a, he's a freak show. So, you know, the, most of the guys just run into you, which is like, that's my game. Please run into me because that's, yeah. you're not going to make me move. Right. But when, when I played him as a rookie and I'll never forget leaving because I could usually come off the ball and move guys off the ball and stuff. And he was like running into, and he, he wasn't muscular. He's just kind of, you know, I mean, it's Warren Sapp, right? But dude, he was stout. And I never forget playing that game. We beat Tampa. It was his rookie year, so it was in Denver in 1995. Coming off that game going, 
that kid's going to be really good someday. Like really, really good someday. I just had to get in the story. You're you there with a bad back, 29 knee surgeries. You can't feel anything. <laughs> well, my wrist was sore. Otherwise, you know, I really would have kicked your ass. Yeah. So anyway, we, we move on. The, the whole point of that story being, I have no freaking idea. Uh, but back to Super Bowl 42. So you finally figured out not to just watch the blocking schemes. You're watching the ball. And he was doing a great job. Mark, you were doing a great job. Thank you. Now, we're not going to give this away yet, but there was a certain play that happened in this game. And as I'm walking into the bowels of the stadium, you described it thusly. All right, Eli, uh, back to pass, scrambling around. Uh, complete first down. We move on. Great. So finally, I get into the stadium, and there's a monitor up in the lower upper left corner of where we're all there. And I, I, I say to you on the phone, Mark, I see it. I got it. I'm good. You walk me through this. I appreciate you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. And you hang up. Great. So I see Plexico Burris in the final seconds catch what is going to be the game-winning touchdown, ending the Patriots' chances at the first unbeaten season in a 16-game regular season in playoffs. I get it to Miami Dolphins. Mercury Morris, shut up. We don't want to hear from you right now. So I say to myself, that's the guy. I'm going to go talk to Plexico Burris. I'm going to run on that friggin' field, and I'm going to get the one-on-one with the guy who not only scored the touchdown to stop the Patriots' unbeaten season, but who predicted that they were going to beat the Patriots and gave him the score, which was pretty accurate. I think he said 21-17 instead of 17-14. It was close, right? It was yeah. close. So the game ends, and I haul ass to Plexico Burris. And I look around, and I'm the only guy standing next to Plexico Burris. You're this- hey, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, you helped me get the one-on-one interview with Plexico Burris, which yes. didn't matter for a reason. And as a reporter, I'm like, this is amazing. This interview is going to run forever. It's going to run for infamy. This will be the greatest interview I've ever done. I'm so proud of myself and I'm feeling fucking great. And then I'm walking towards where everybody else is. And I see like 800 reporters and cameras around David Tyree. And the first thought I had was, why the hell are they talking to that special team scrub? <laughs> and now, Mark, you may fill in the rest of the story. So I was amazed that play because there was no way slow-footed Eli Manning was ever going to escape a sack. And they pressure him, and he's going down for sure, and he scrambles around, and I don't know how he got out of it. And I was just mesmerized by the breakdown in protection and the fact that Eli Manning found a way to get out. So I'm describing how he got out of this. I can't believe it. And he chucks it down the field and he chucks down the field and I didn't even wait to look at the ball. I rewound it on my, on my DVR to look at how did he get out? So I didn't even see the freaking catch. I was like, it's a first down, but I'm looking at protection and I'm looking at how he got out of this thing. And I was like, this is the most amazing play, how he got out of that scrambling around. Meanwhile, David Tyree is helmet catching the football, and I never even saw it because yeah, I, I was didn't looking, have a clue. No, I didn't I have a clue. clue. So I didn't tell you like the finishing part because I was too busy rewinding, looking at it. how did Eli Manning get out of that? That guy can't get out of anything. So to recap, <laughs> arguably the greatest play in the history of the Super Bowl, in the greatest upset in the history of Super Bowls was described by my good friend, Mark Slareth thusly, uh, Eli, uh, running around, uh, first down. Awesome. Right. So if you, if you know anybody long enough, there will be a moment in that relationship where you say to yourself, why the hell am I friends with this guy? <laughs> that was the moment. And oh, by the way, the great Plexco interview that I thought, huh. 
I don't think it aired once. It was a waste of videotape, a waste of my time, and a waste of his time. All because of you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So for hey. that, thank you very much. You're welcome. And you know what? I never saw the catch until I actually watched the highlights of the game during the uh, subsequent days after. Like, oh, my gosh, that was an amazing catch. I'm like, when did that happen? Oh, yeah, it was no during the scramble yeah. play that I was rewinding four times. As Adam Sandler said in The Wedding Singer, information that would have been important yesterday. Yes, exactly. <sighs> well, somehow we've managed to fight our way through that obstacle. And somehow you have gone from being a terrible play-by-play guy to one of the best analysts in the business today. And that, my friend, is just showing your range. And thank you for showing everybody how bad you screwed over one of your best friends. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I apologize. I apologize. But... <laughs> Well, cheers only 13 years later, it's okay, and I still forgive you. And cheers to you, Clink. Love you, buddy. All right, brother. Be well, be good, and just stick to the analysts and let Adam Amin do the play-by-play. I'm following the ball now, Trey. I'm following the ball. <laughs> <sighs> so that'll do it for this edition of Half Forgotten History. Thanks to my good friend, Mark Stink Schlereth, for telling us all just what a terrible play-by-play guy he is. But for his troubles, we are sending the Ronald McDonald House a check in Mark Schlereth's name. And thanks to our good friends at Maker's Mark. Remember to pour yourself into everything you do and reach for a bourbon that's created with that personal touch. In fact, take a Maker's Mark right now and enjoy a drink. Raise it to those incredible athletes who tell us these incredible stories. The only thing we ask is to remember that Maker's Mark makes their bourbon very carefully and they ask you to enjoy it the same way. Coming up next on Half Forgotten History, the number one pick of the 2001 NFL Draft, whose marketing campaign, the Michael Vick Experience, now really serves as a title for his entire life. Michael Vick will join us next.